Hey everybody, welcome this week to this week's sermon, God Knows Enough Not to Ask for Perfection. That's the sermon title, probably an explanation for how you ended up as me as a pastor. Um, and, and just to keep things even, maybe how I ended up with you as a congregation. God knows enough not to ask for perfection. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, we should talk about the Ten Commandments, today's reading. Uh, I'm sitting in room 208 at the Cross Life campus because this is one of the rooms we teach confirmation in a lot. And as a result, lots of confirmation students have come through here over the years, and uh, lots of them have learned a lot about the Ten Commandments. It's a hundred sermons, uh, not just this one. But I think a couple of things uh, at this particular point in our congregational history are worth lifting up uh, as, as life-giving reminders. So uh, as per the introduction to the Ten Commandments when it was read before, uh, one of the things that's interesting is that there aren't many places in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, where something is repeated verbatim. That actually happens quite a bit in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who uh, appear to know of each other and sometimes copy sections from each other. But it happens rarely in, in, the, in the Old Testament. But the Ten Commandments are an example where it does because they're found in both Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Of course, as is the case with the Gospels, where we kind of compare and contrast uh, how they tell a story, here, too, uh, immediately I think all of us would be curious as to what's the same and what's different in, in the two versions. Almost everything is the same. They are remarkably similar. One of the, there, there are two kind of interesting differences, though. Uh, the first one is in Exodus chapter 20, which, which appears first in the, in the Bible, so I think it's the version people know best. Um, so in Exodus chapter 20, uh, when it's talking about honoring the Sabbath day, it references back to the Genesis 1 creation story and the, uh, how God rested on the seventh day. Uh, now that's important in terms of kind of knowing when Exodus 20 was written, because the, the Genesis 1 creation story we know for a variety of reasons was written during the Babylonian exile of the Jewish people. So sometime in the 500s B.C., that then suggests that something like Exodus 20 is written also during the Babylonian exile or maybe even after it. So five or even as early uh, or as, as, as late, I think you would say it, as 400 B.C. Um, that then is different from uh, Deuteronomy 5 where that same comparison isn't made. Uh, suggesting that Deuteronomy 5 isn't aware of that uh, chapter 1 creation story, and in fact is probably written when all of Deuteronomy is written, which is in the 600s or even the 700s BC, so much earlier than Exodus 20, even though Exodus 20 comes first in, in the order of books. Now, the Ten Commandments themselves, as far as we know, uh, date back uh, to maybe as early as 1400 BC. Uh, and, and so they exist in, in spoken form for hundreds and hundreds of years in a culture that did a great job of accurately tracking oral stories. And then, uh, in all likelihood, Deuteronomy is the one who gets it written down first. So uh, that's, that's a significant thing because of then of the, uh, of the second difference. Um, in, in both cases, the last commandment is, you shall not covet. And in Exodus... It starts, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. 
And then it goes on to list all these other things you shouldn't covet. You shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife, cattle, servants, etc. Now, it's specifically wife there. Uh, both versions of the commandments are, are addressed in the second person singular male form. And so they're written directly to men uh, in that world, not too surprising for the era in which they're developed. Um, uh, but, but the distinction between Exodus, which is don't covet your neighbor's house, in other words, your neighbor's property, in which, in which uh, a wife was included as property, which was the case in the Jewish law of that time, um, it's, it's different in, in Deuteronomy. There the first thing listed is do not covet your neighbor's wife, and then house, cattle, servants, etc., uh, now, a cynic might say, well, that's just like kind of doubling down on you shall not commit adultery. You really, really shouldn't. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. But I, I think in reality, that's, that's not the case. In reality, what is the case is that Deuteronomy, as the older version, is maybe a little more in touch with the original sentiment behind the commandments themselves, which is they're all about relationships. And so when, when people are encouraged not, men are encouraged not to covet, it, it starts with, with wives as something distinct from property. It's, it's a central, seminal relationship. And that would make perfect sense with the Ten Commandments because the whole Mosaic Code is relational. It's a covenant. Covenants are relational contracts. Think of a marriage covenant. And, and in, in Scripture, what's super amazing is that the idea of God entering into a relational covenant where God is obligated to do things and ask people to do things in return and where it's reciprocal and where, where God actually is held to things as well as people, that was mind-blowing in the world in which this was written. There are one or two other faint examples of that in, in Middle Eastern literature, but, but the Mosaic Code is, is mind-blowing in that it understands us as having a personal ongoing, reciprocal relationship with God. It's not just a one-way street. And that then informs everything else about our lives and our relationships to, to each other. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. And just that little change uh, in, in the Deuteronomy version of the first thing you shouldn't covet is your neighbor's wife is, is an indication of how aware it is of the importance of our relationships in life. We've always been part of a relational tradition which recognizes that God and neighbor are the most important things. Uh, you can covet a lot of other things, but, but where, where life gains its greatest meaning and, and dignity is in our relationships, um, it, it, which you know. Uh, I, I was skimming through um, and, and didn't have a chance to look at them in detail yet, but I was skimming through the results of our congregational survey uh, by our call team as we're trying to get a sense of people's priorities and what they value most at Unity and what they, what they hope can change in the future at Unity. And, and in a way, you guys were almost too polite. I mean, I think there are a lot of ways in which we can change, and that, that's not going to be an insult to, to me or Muriel to have things change. I mean, living dynamic organizations do that all the time. You, you need to do that in, in order to constantly remain relevant to the world around you. Um, but, but one of the things that got valued all over the place in those surveys was the awareness that relationships are, are so important, that they're so hard to maintain in an environment where everybody's going 100 miles an hour, and, and kind of a longing for more and, and various ways for us to, 
to connect with each other, relate to each other, and go deeper with each other. That is a life-saving instinct on your part. It is a life-giving instinct on your part. Um, as you move forward as Unity Lutheran Church, double down on, on what you're willing to both offer and receive in relationships. They, they always take energy and time. They're always harder to begin with than they are later down the road. All of these things are true, and all of them are what ultimately make them so very worthwhile. You understand the essence of those Ten Commandments, which, by the way, in, in the Jewish tradition are, are ten words, uh, because several of them are a single word in Hebrew, uh, no kill, no adultery, no steal. That's a single word in each case. And, and they aren't thought of at all as kind of rules or, or uh, a legal statement, uh, much more of these wonderful gifts to us for better living. And that's, uh, I hope, how you understand them this, to this very day, gifts for richer and wholer living. So let's, let's do a little bit more with them. And uh, let, let's talk about that, that sermon title, God, God Knew Enough Not to Ask for Perfection. So the commandments begin with a reminder that this is the God who brought the people out of slavery in Egypt. There's always a context for these things, that, that, God, that God gives life and, and defends uh, in the face of injustice. This is the identity of, of our loving God, and, and that's where these commandments begin. Uh, as both the connection point for the Jewish people and uh, for all people as a reminder of what God values most, which is equality and, and the end to injustice and, and people being given dignity and respect, uh, starting with those slaves in Egypt so very long before in, in our scriptural tradition. Uh, but then you might recall that, that amongst the, the early commandments are, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, in other words, the Ten Commandments in neither of the versions make any claim to the idea that there, there is, is only one God, though monotheism becomes the defining trait of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. But here in its earliest version, that's in a sense not a, not a battle that the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words uh, need to or are ready to fight. And, and instead they just say, you shall have no other gods before me. And in a way, part of the great wisdom of that is, is now that we live in a monotheistic culture, we kind of think that's true. We only believe, if you believe in God, you only believe that there's, there's one God. But, but that's not true. You know that. And, and that's why I think the, the ten words are, are just honest and why God doesn't ask for perfection. In other words, anything that competes for our loyalty, our ultimate loyalty, our ultimate attention, our ultimate allegiance, that's a God whether it's some statue in a temple in Greece someplace, or, or the hundreds of things in, in our world that function as gods, because they, they do tend to demand some of our, in our collective world, some people's ultimate loyalty, devotion, attention, etc. And, and sadly, I think all of us, me included at times, give into our idolatry of things that are more important to us than a God who loves us and sends us to love each other. There are gods all over the place, and, and the God who gives us the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, um, 
isn't so fussy as to demand our perfection that we always and only will be only focused on God. Uh, God doesn't ask something that is beyond us. I, I think what the Ten Commandments reflect, though, is excellence. God asks us to be our better selves as often as possible, which should be most of the time. And therefore, when we are our better selves most of the time, then we, we are able to, to have no other gods before the one who is love. How does that play out in, in our lives nowadays? Uh, Sabbath. That's a tough one, right? We have a super hard time keeping the Sabbath. We filled it with work. We filled it with vacations. We filled it with activities. We filled it with things that we see as valuable or as renewing. And yet there have probably been fewer times in our culture where more people feel non-renewed and where they feel too busy and where they keep searching for things of ultimate value. Now, going to church physically or online, you know, that isn't definitional to keeping the, the Sabbath. The, the whole idea of the Sabbath, remember, was also a shocking concept in its time. There, there was no week at that point. People just lived. Maybe every once in a while the king would have a special festival. Maybe they would mark something about the sun or the moon uh, once or twice a year. But the idea of seven days a week and a weekend and thank God for Friday, none of that existed. And so when Judaism comes along with this idea of one day where everyone should rest, not just, not just the Jewish people, but the people who lived in their midst and the, and the animals um, who, who worked on their behalf during the week, everyone was to have a day of rest and reflection and reconnection. We horribly missed the mark on that nowadays. In part, I suppose, because for centuries the church overplayed it. And, and literally kind of inferred to people that, like, if you don't come to church, you're going to go to hell. And, and that was very effective in continuing to keep people going to, to church uh, on a physical basis, but rightly created uh, years and decades and centuries of resentments and questions and first chance people got not to go to church. They took it because they were sick of being threatened uh, with a bad thing because they were supposed to be doing a good thing. What sense did that ever make in the first place? And so now it's, it's voluntary. We, we don't threaten you with hellfire if you're not here. But, but as a result, I mean, kind of the backlash, the pendulum has swung way in the other direction where now most people aren't in church, not just church members, but I mean, most people aren't in a place of worship on Sunday. Most people don't really mark it a lot of times as a unique day to step back, renew, reconnect, rest. You can do that in a lot of non-church ways. But it grieves me a little bit that when people are, are searching so desperately for meaning and for, for personal internal renewal and significance of connection in our world, that one of the most obvious places to get it is, is, is a, a live faith community, which honestly, not all churches are. Uh, many are kind of deadly in their, in their relationships and in their theology. Um, uh, but a, a place that is dynamic and at least tries and does care and is connected to the world around it, I think that is largely true of Unity Lutheran Church. Man, that is a life-giving place to be. That is, that is truly a place to mark the Sabbath. 
And, and I personally think if you're watching us online, that's a great way to mark the Sabbath. If you're here with us in person, that's a great way to mark the Sabbath. Uh, it's a part of a larger package of, of ways of being intentional by all of us about reconnecting and renewing and honoring the God who made us and who loved us and knew us enough not to ask perfection from us. Uh, just every once in a while, uh, be as close to your best self as you possibly can be. These then are just a few of the things to think about on this weekend where we are gifted with the reading uh, of the Ten Commandments, uh, the Ten Words, and the blessing they have been uh, for us as believers for centuries. Uh, sometimes they've been jammed down people's throats. Uh, that, that was a sad uh, misunderstanding of something that was meant as a gift and as a life-giving thing. So if that was your experience, uh, I apologize on behalf of the larger church, but I invite you to something new and better, which is what they have been uh, all along. I think one last thing that, that is always valuable about the, the commandments is, is the, the commandment that says, um, no, don't, don't uh, in a sense, say anything bad about your neighbor. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, I love that as a closing point. Uh, wow, we live in a world right now, uh, and maybe this is always how the world has been, of intense negativity, uh, intense untruth at times. And, and uh, we can speculate all the time on who's responsible for that or why it's getting worse. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever get to the bottom of any of that. What we can do as people of faith is we just don't have to practice it ourselves. We don't have to practice it in our conversations, in our relationship, in, in how we vote, however you choose to interpret that, um, uh, how we react to, to the social media and the media media in our exist. What we can do is bring something positive to the world around us. Uh, we can be affirming, we can be including, we can be serving, uh, we can refuse to take the bait of, of getting angry at the world and we can live into loving this world our neighbors as ourselves. These are the great blessings the Ten Commandments afford us. And perhaps one final little thing that I think maybe wraps it all up is the awareness that not everybody can do everything. Uh, one of the cool ministries here uh, is, the, is the pill sort ministry, um, which is uh, one of the ways we uh, consolidate medicines for use in the free clinics in the city of Milwaukee. Because not everybody has a medical background. Not everybody has the occasion or, or the desire to, to travel into where those free clinics are in the city, though, though tons of our members do so all the time, which is an awesome thing. But there are just people who can't do it. Um, and, and many of those people over the years said, but we'd love to help. And that's where the pill sort ministry came from. Uh, something people here can do in a significant way to pe help people there. This is part of how, rather than kind of cursing the darkness. I, I can't do it. There's nothing we can do. Instead, finding a, a, a way to do it of bringing the ministry to the people and then the blessing to the people. This, this is what relationships are all about, right, people of God? We are a relational church because ours is a relational God who does not ask for perfection. But hey, this week, if you can offer a little ex excellence, may it be so. Hallelujah. Hey, whoops. I shouldn't say that word during Lent, but it just popped out. I'm sure you'll forgive me, right? Because none of us should be asking for perfection. Done.